outfielders being drafted in the first round in 12-team leagues, and you might want to get one of those five. Welcome to the Outfield Preview, part one of two. Here on Thursday, March 1st, I am Adam Azer with Scott White, Heath Cummings, and Chris Towers. This is Fantasy Baseball Today, and we're previewing a very exciting position. Guys, in exactly five words for each of you, five words, sum up your feelings on outfield. Shallow in the mid-range. Does that work for you? No, mid-range is four words, hyphenated. You're you're going to hyphenate (laughs) mid-range? That's fine. I think that's debatable. Shallow in the mid-range? Yeah, every... That's the closest I could come to five words. It's oh. hard to present that in five. I could say it's shallow in the mid-range. There you go. Heath, uh, you got five words for me? Dongs and steals are abundant. Dongs and steals are abundant. That's always a good thing. Chris Towers? Lots of young talent here. That's five. Lots of young talent. Yes, there is a lot of talent at outfield. So in part one, we'll probably get to the first like 20 to 25 outfielders. And then tomorrow on part two, we will go much deeper at the position. But let's start with this, guys. How many stud outfielders do you think there are? How many studs at the position? Well, you start with the five that are going in the first round, right? Yes. Um, Those would be Trout, Harper, Betts, Blackman, Stanton. Trout, Harper, Betts, Blackman, Stanton. I would add J.D. Martinez. I would add Aaron Judge. I would add George Springer. And I am on the verge of adding Cody Bellinger. So between eight and nine, I would say. In Roto, and this will get disagreement, but I will say in Roto, I would add Starling Marte. Stud? Stud in Roto. You know how Heath is about those steals, man. Yeah. Can't get enough. That's not a bad point. When actually he can, he just refuses to. No, I I get enough at each and every Roto draft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised you don't get all the steal guys with where you have them ranked. I might put Judge just slightly below the stud range along with Springer uh, while moving J.D. Martinez up. I might go six. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. There, There is a, you know, it just depends how firmly you want to define the tiers, I guess. So Starling Marte, just to go back to him, in 2015 he played 100 and he played basically a full season. That was his most games played, 153 games, 2015. He was t- 15th in points, 10th in Roto at outfield. In 2016, he played 129 games. He was 30th in points. He was 12th in Roto in the outfield. So, yeah, top top 10 if he stays healthy. It's probably safe. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, safe, but realistic for sure. It's safe. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> safe. Um, I don't know. <laughs> which of these stud outfielders do you consider the riskiest? Well, if we're, are we including Starling Marte or no? Aaron Judge. And I like Aaron Judge yeah. more than just about anybody. I mean, J.D. Martinez, Giancarlo Stan, and Bryce Harper all carry serious injury risk. But they've all also, we saw with Giancarlo Stanton last year, it was a bunch of random injuries, and then none of them reoccurred. And mm-hmm. none of them really had reoccurred. I think it's kind of the same thing with J.D. Martinez and Bryce Harper. So, yeah, I think Judge, if you include him in the stud tier, the skill set is just super variable. Okay. All them strikeouts. But, and, and you know, there's, it's not like there's no injury risk for him. Sure. He's yeah. coming off offseason shoulder surgery. I, right. And I just also think like there is such a gap between who he was in the minors for, you know, 1600 plate appearances and who he's been in the majors for 600 or 650, whatever it was last season that there's also just, he may just be a 37 homer guy and he's not special if he's a 37 homer guy. 
Aaron Judge was the number three outfielder in points and Roto last year. He was the number four hitter in points, number three in Roto. And to be like the number three outfielder and the number three hitter obviously means that the best hitters in baseball last year were outfielders. They were Charlie Blackman, Giancarlo Stanton, and Aaron Judge. However, Scott, you might have this data handy. On a per-game basis, Mike Trout was better than those guys. Oh, uh, Bryce Mike Harper. Trout was in a category unto himself. Oh, Bryce on a Harper. Basis. Harper was a, a, probably better than those guys. JD Martinez. They all had OPSs over a thousand, I believe. I know Harper and, and Trout did. But I want to point out this Trout statistic because on a per game basis last year, Mike Trout averaged four point five fantasy points per game, second among all hitters, not just outfielders, but among all hitters was Harper. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, it was Harper at 4.12. 4.5 versus 4.12. That is enormous. Yeah, his, uh, his seasonal pace numbers are 45 homers, 97 RBI, 124 runs, and 30 steals while hitting 306. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. He's, yeah. That might have been the best season that we'll ever see from Trout. Uh, it was it was pretty legendary. It was only 114 games. So then my next question is, how on earth do you not draft Mike Trout number one? Keith? Well, you don't totally disagree with me in Roto on this. You think it's a debate. Who, me? No, I, no I've, said it, I've said it's a debate between Altuve, right. Altuve and Trout before, I think uh, you but can, not as strong. Because one. you value Altuve's average and stolen bases and expect him to be better than Trout in those areas. <sighs> I don't know if I expect him to be better in stolen bases. Like at, at I, this I think point, it's more of a position scarcity thing, frankly. At this point, Trout's been a 30-steal guy two years in a row yet again after not running as much the previous two seasons. Maybe he won't run as much this year because the Angels lineup is so much better, but I'm not sure. If Altuve has an edge in stolen bases, it's pretty slim at this point. And to be clear, I think there's an argument to be made for Altuve only in Roto and the argument for me ends pretty quickly because Trout is that superior. So I don't entertain that argument very much. And Heath, where do you have Trout in points and where do you have Trout in Roto overall? Uh, second in points and third in Roto. Behind who in points? Altuve? Um, let me just verify that, but, okay. um, yes. And behind Altuve and Turner in Roto? Correct. Dude, come on, what? I, I, I know that this is behind an asinine take. In points I, doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even know how you come up with that. Positional yeah. scarcity. Uh, I guess. He had yeah, more walks I, and strikeouts. I, I thought, I thought there was no intentional positional strategy. Yes, no intentional positional strategy. It means I'm not targeting a second baseman in a certain well, round. You kind of are this. by ranking him that way. I am saying that Jose Altuve playing second base makes him I'm worth not, more. I'm inconsistent not sure. logic. It's not inconsistent. I'm also logic. just Mr. not Chris sure. Chris Towers must view everything the same way. I'm also <laughs> not sure second base is more scarce than outfield. In, in, ter- because in a points league? You have to start three outfielders. You only have to start one second baseman. Agreed. I would guess the number 36 outfielder probably ranks about the same as the number 12 second baseman. So yeah. I'm not I'm not sure second base is more scarce. Well, I don't know that it's that simple of a comparison because you have to consider uh, what when things go wrong mid-season, how likely are you to find a quality replacement? And I think you're much more likely yeah. at outfield. Yeah, outfield, and we'll get into strategy in just a second. Outfield is always a position that is loaded with late-round upside guys and guys you can pick up off the waiver wire throughout the season. 
Uh, I mean, in, in shallower leagues, like in 10-team leagues or in 12-team three outfielder leagues, there are going to be good outfielders that just don't get drafted. Uh, Aaron Judge was one last year. Aaron Judge, right? right, exactly. Did not get drafted. So, um, yeah, it, you know, it's a deep position in that respect, but it's also very top-heavy. We said the same exact thing last year. I'll let you guys give your takes on it uh, when we talk about your overall strategy. Just wanted to give one underrated Mike Trout stat. I was just nerding out on Mike Trout stats last night, just doing – like just just doing the notes and he's just incredible. It's like almost fun to research a player this good. He has increased his walks and reduced his strikeouts three straight seasons, uh, and uh, to the point where he had more walks than strikeouts last year. So, uh, pretty incredible stuff for Mike Trout. Uh, all right, it's uh, it's fantasy baseball time. It is March. It is time to sign up for your leagues. Do it at cbssports.com/fbt. Show a little love for our podcast, cbssports.com/fbt. When you sign up, you'll find out it's the best place to play. It's just easier. You can customize so many things. The advanced stats are better. So, again, cbssports.com slash FBT. And we also want you to show us a little love on iTunes or anywhere that you can review our podcast. Please leave us a review. Uh, please give us five stars. And uh, just help help spread the word, you know. Podcasts are really kind of a word of mouth thing. I understand if you don't want to tell people in your leagues. I, w- I hope you do. But if you don't, I guess I get it. Um, but anybody you can tell about our shows – We'd appreciate it. If you want a listing of all of our shows, you can go to cbssports.com slash podcast. All right, what is your overall outfield strategy, guys? You don't need to bother asking Heath, right? I will say that generally speaking in our drafts, I end up with a lot of outfielders early. I know I've heard people talk about how I want to save one of those outfield spots so I can take one of the upside guys late. That is not part of my outfield strategy. If they are the best player on my board, I don't mind filling up my outfield early. Yeah, I also don't mind using a utility spot on an outfielder. So, you know, that I think it's almost desirable because there's three players you could need to replace in the lineup and having that outfielder there just slide them in and then you can have a utility for any position. Yeah, I haven't really I haven't really thought much about an outfield strategy to be honest. I guess I guess I don't have an intentional strategy there. I've just found that like, that's not something I've ever had to worry about. There are so many quality early round infielders and so much need to emphasize starting pitching in the early rounds that there, I have yet to do a, you know, we do two mock drafts a week and I have yet to do one where I filled my outfield too early. I, okay, so Heath, I'm not, I'm not really not trying to pick on you or anything. I know we've done the, the trout thing. No, go, go right ahead. Please do. Well, no, I mean, I'm we, in the perfect mood for it. <laughs> Well, we, we disagreed on this last year, too. And I, I disagree again. I just don't want to fill up. If I'm a three outfielder league, I don't want to fill up those three outfielders early. I, if I'm in a five outfielder league, I'll take three early, maybe, but, and what's early, by the way? Like, first, yeah, I don't care. I took two within my first five picks. I don't care if I take three within my first five picks. First four picks. I I took Judge and and Hoskins. I do care. uh, had to head categories. I care. Okay, that's so. That's where we differ. I, I do care about that. I, I definitely don't want to take I mean, two. Is fine. I I, I, I don't get, want to take three. I get wanting to get some of those upside guys, but it it kind of goes back to the thing I always say of like those guys could be anything. They could even be as good as the players that you're drafting early. No, but it's you know? not just about that. It's about the other positions. It's it's not about those guys I get later are going to be better than the ones you took earlier. They're not. They're most likely not. It's those guys that I take later are going to be better than the players at the other positions that get taken later. Outfield depth is just supreme. 
So Maybe. I'd rather it's take just... I'd rather take relief pitchers earlier if I'm reaching for someone. I'd rather take shallower positions. That's all. Given how early the drop off is at outfield, it just seems implausible to me that you you draft three in the first five picks. Like you, I feel like you'd have to be threading the needle, almost going out of your way to draft outfielders because there's so many quality players at other positions. Like it just it just seems. No, like what I'm sure I, has happened. I don't know. I I wouldn't want to do it, Adam, but I've never had to consciously avoid doing it. What, what I absolutely have had happen is a situation where I might take Aaron Judge in the second round and Starling Marte in the third in a roto league, and well, so then I have two in the first I, three I, rounds. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I guess if you value the uniqueness of Starling Marte that much that you're willing to, um. Extend yourself for him in that way. I, I guess I can understand or even that. Even Starling Marte in the fourth, but then we get to the fifth round, and my but that's also player. that's also a roto league where you're taking Marte and it's five outfielders. And I guess you know, you're, obviously your outfield spots aren't blocked if you draft three outfielders early there. Yeah, that's and true. and the other thing is, you know, even if it's not a five outfielder league, let's say it's a three or four outfielder head-to-head categories league. When you talk about categories versus points. It's not just positional scarcity, it's it's category scarcity. So, no, I mean, that strategy makes sense to me, Heath, of taking Starling Marte right after taking Aaron Judge because you're trying to get the scarce steal statistic. I just don't want, personally, I don't want to be sitting in a position where there are so many good outfielders that I want late in the draft, like Kyle Schwarber or, uh, Yas- well, Yasuo Puigo is actually kind of early, but um, uh, Michael it Brantley, also- hold on, hold on a second, let me just finish it, you know. Maybe you want to take a shot on Bradley Zimmer. I don't know. There are better names than this. Kevin Kiermaier, uh, Nomar Mazzara, and, oh, man, I don't have a spot for them. And, gosh, i got to fill out uh, my middle infield spot, something like that. So, uh, you know, just don't don't get, don't let yourself be left out of the depth of the position. I guess that's what I'm But you're not saying. left out because you already have three really good outfielders. Yeah, but you're, you're left out. You're, you're selecting worse players at other positions. Uh, I think that's that especially true at starting pitcher. I don't know. It depends on the league. Like, we did a 10-team draft the other day. I took three outfielders in my first seven picks. I wasn't lacking in any other cat in any other positions, really. Like, I still ended up with Luis Severino and Jose Quintana in my first three picks, Xander Bogarts and Ozzie Albies as my shortstop and second baseman. So it just it depends on the league size. It also just depends on the way the draft falls. Like, Justin Upton fell to 66th overall, the seventh round. It was my third outfielder, and I didn't necessarily want to take a third outfielder yet, but at some point, that value is too hard to ignore. That's a good point. That's always true. I mean, great value is great value, but there is, but I guess there is great value late in the, in the draft at outfield, so do with that what you will, but you agree with that, right? That there is great value late in the draft at outfield. Yes. Okay. Yes. Even beyond the draft. I mean, right. I'm looking at my top 15 here. Judge went mostly undrafted. Hoskins went mostly undrafted. Tommy Pham went pretty much completely undrafted. Like, and there we regard them as your top five rounders now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, five outfielder league versus three outfielder league. I think we kind of covered that, right? Do we, anything we want to add on on that? No, we're good. Uh, no, that's that's more about the categories, right? How does your strategy change in an auction? Guess what, everybody? We have an auction this afternoon. And double guess what, everybody? We're probably going to do it on the air. And not all of it, but some not of it. Not all of it, no. No, because it's a four-hour podcast. Yeah, that would be bad. That would break your phone. <laughs> um, but that's going to be pretty cool. Have to charge midway. 
So yeah, I mean, in an auction, there's probably several one or two dollar outfielders that you're going to want. Not to say you're going to get them, but that's a that's a spot where you can get guys for a dollar or two uh, and be happy. Anybody want to opine on auctions and outfield? There are a lot of outfielders in the 50 to 80 range in the ADP who I love uh, trying to snag for a buck or two in auctions. And yeah. give me but some. You can put those guys names. on your bench too. Yeah, I mean we've done roto leagues where we aren't drafting benches, but if if we do, that's where I really like picking up some of those depth outfielders. You know, Stephen Piscotty, Randall Grichik. Uh, Kyle Schwarber as a potential bench guy. There's a lot of guys back because back in that range. In three outfielder leagues, which is where we were really talking about filling outfield, those high upside guys, Schwarber, they're um, waiver wire guys. They're, they're guy. Well, they should be on your bench they, in a three outfielder league. You don't want to start the season yeah. starting Kyle Schwarber. No. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely true. Uh, but let's see, Schwarber is uh, the 49th outfielder off the board. He's going 168th overall. Mm-hmm. But they're not blocked if you're going to draft them for a bench spot anyway, is what I'm saying. Well, except, you know, if it's three of your first five picks on an outfielder, it's very unlikely they're going to crack your lineup. Not impossible, but unlikely. You can play utility. Yeah, somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna crap out on you at some point. I, yeah. I would hope not if you're talking about your it's first go- five it, picks. But it's going to happen. Like, whether it's uh, your first five picks, whether it's you, your utility, it might happen. whether it's, it's your second baseman, like, something's gonna happen. Uh, yeah, okay, but but at the same not, not time, Wisconsin. no, not things go Scott, wrong. No, think, no, look, like don't 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 change who I am. Like I I am totally all about things go wrong and you need to be ready for it. But if you're talking about your first five picks, the odds are one of your first five picks is on the disabled list in the first half of the season. I would, but are the like I would it, guess what if it's not one of the outfielders, you know? It might not be. Then you can play him in utility. It, and even if it is like I would guess it wouldn't like, necessarily be a catastrophic injury. If we went back to last year's ADP, I would guess a third of first five round oh, picks, yeah, even at hitters. I were, would think so. Crap. I don't know if I don't know what the like bus disappointment hurt, like worse than breakout Kyle Schwarber. Yes, I mean what what Kyle Schwarber could be, and and Kyle Schwarber might just suck again. In which case, it's a non it's a non factor. Sure. Yeah. I just know in a three outfielder league, like if you're drafting a guy for the upside and you're hoping he becomes trade bait, it's really hard to trade outfielders in a three outfielder league because everybody's kind of full there. Oh, I'm I'm drafting guys hoping they'll help me, I, and not necessarily trade. I don't. I would never draft someone with the hope that I could trade them. Uh, all right. We all agree on that. And let's let's um, also discuss this rounds. I'm looking at ADP right now, and I'm seeing this in drafts. Rounds four and five are big time outfield rounds, so keep that in mind. And the guys going in those rounds, according to ADP right now, are Justin Upton, Andrew Benintendi, Marcelo Zuna, Reese Hoskins, Nelson Cruz, who's not outfield eligible in our leagues, Starling Marte, and Christian Yelich. It's a really nice group. Upton, Benintendi, Ozuna, Hoskins, Nelson Cruz, Starling Marte, Christian Yelich. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I often end up with one of those guys. I often find myself taking an outfielder in rounds four and five. I feel like we all do. I mean, that's just a good spot for those guys. Yeah, the difference is it's your first outfielder and it's my third. No, no, it could <laughs> easily be, no, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. It could easily be my second. It won't be my right. third. But it could definitely be my second. And if it is my second outfielder and I'm in a three outfielder league, 
you can safely bet I'm waiting until round 10 or later to take my third. And that's that's the thing that I come back to is just like you say it definitely won't be your third outfielder. That 10-team league, I didn't want to draft a third outfielder when I did, but Justin Upton fell to 66. There's no definites. You're right. You're right. But it, it's probably not going to be. And that's third. that's what Heath's nips are about. Non-intentional positional strategy is – you can't go into you can't lock yourself into something at the beginning of the draft. No, I you never have did. to have flexibility. Hundred percent agree. All right, let's do sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Also, I you know I, I need to mention this. Um, Cody Bellinger and Reese Hoskins are outfield eligible and first base eligible, and I I don't think that's a small deal. It definitely helps their value because if somebody if like you have Hoskins and you have him at first, and then your outfielder gets hurt. Well, now you go to the waiver wire, and you can look for both first baseman and outfielder. So it's mm-hmm. actually a nice thing to be eligible at two positions, even if they are the two deepest positions. It's Hoskins and Bellinger. Um, all righty. Favorite sleeper outfielder, Scott White, I will start with you. Okay. My favorite sleeper out. Man, it's such a big position. It's hard to pick out a favorite. I'm sorry um, for surprising you with this question. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Heath, like if you're going to add new segments, you should tell us. I do apologize. (laughs) Let's go with. Ah, this seems so boring. Would you like someone else to step? Yeah, go ahead and start. Kyle (laughs) Schwarber. Okay. Best shape of his life. Lost 20 pounds. Stole a base off Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner over the weekend. What? Two actually. Uh, Stole two in a row. They can't even claim that they were surprised by the second one. And we know what the upside is. We know what he did in the second half last year when he hit 250 with an OPS north of 900. If I'm not even so so much looking at the uh, the weight loss as a oh Kyle Schwarber is going to steal bases now. I don't think he is. I think that would be dumb. I look at it as one. I hope it helps him stay healthy. That wasn't an issue last year, but obviously he has the knee injury in the past. And I just if it can make him. Even a bad defensive outfielder, that can get his lineup, his bat in the lineup if he hits the way he can. We know what the upside is. We know how high people were drafting him last year. A year ago, he was a sixth or seventh round pick. That was too high. That wasn't factoring in the downside. But he does have top 50 uh, overall player potential, and he's free. And Schwarber started last year as a leadoff hitter, so... Like they right now, I'm looking at roster resource, and they have Albert Almora Jr. projected as their leadoff hitter. I, I think, think it's it, going to be Ian Happ, actually. That's where they're leaning lately. All right, so if it's Ian Happ, right, they have him on the bench. <laughs> Ian Happ, so that's probably a better call. But but I don't see that Schwarber couldn't hit in the top five in that order if he's good. So um, that'd be nice. Uh, they don't. It's weird for a team as good as the Cubs. They have not an exceptionally deep lineup. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Heath, what do you think? Who's your favorite sleeper? Well, if Kyle Schwarber is free, then people are paying you to draft Odubel Herrera, who I still think is a little bit undervalued. I know you don't like Odubel Herrera at all, but uh, he is being – what's that? You're talking to me? Yes, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you have uh, – he is the 59th outfielder off the board at pick 218 in fantasy drafts. He should be a help in batting average. He is going to be in the best lineup he's ever been in. Um, I I don't see any reason for him to be that low. I expect him to be a top 40 outfielder. Okay. Scott, favorite sleeper outfielder? I'm going to go with Austin Hayes, who has hardly played in the majors, rookie. 
Last year between double A, uh, high class A and double A, he hit 329 with 32 home runs, which I believe was the second most of any minor league hitter. OPS of 958. Doesn't strike out much either for a power hitter. Um, they did bring in Colby Rasmus to push him this spring, but it was on a minor league deal. I think it's pretty much Hayes' job to lose. Uh, and he, he's somebody you could easily get as your fifth outfielder. I think there's a lot of upside there. Sleepers are Kyle Schwarber for Chris, Odubel Herrera for Heath, Austin Hayes for Scott. Favorite breakout outfielder. All right, Scott, you need some time? You're going to go to me first. <laughs> All right, no, I, I can I can give you a breakout outfielder. Okay. And that breakout outfielder is somebody who didn't appear on my initial breakouts list because circumstances for, have changed for him since then. I am going with Christian Yelich. Oh, of the Milwaukee Brewers. And, yeah, I mean, the main thing about that is you look at Christian Yelich's home road splits since uh, Marlins Park opened. And um, his whole career. Even before then? He never played at uh, oh, yeah, pro so it was his whole Yeah, okay, so his whole career, pro Robbie. <laughs> Would you like me to um, just give you the stats? Would that help? Go ahead. You, I mean, All right. In 2016, yeah. let's just do the last two years. In 2016, he slugged 415 at home. In 2016, he slugged 542 on the road. Last year, he slugged 401 at home, 472 on the road. And let's see, 24 road home runs, 15 home home runs in his last two seasons. Yeah, and I think if you... Go back even one more, and it becomes an even more dramatic split. Yes, so, uh, six of his seven uh, home runs in 2015 Marlins, were on the road. Marlins Park's a really tough place to hit home runs, and especially if you have you hit you elevate the ball as little as Christian Yelich does. But he's shown on the road that he hits it hard enough to hit it out when he does elevate it, as long as it's a reasonable sized park. And now he's going to a teeny tiny park at Miller Park, and uh, I. I'm pretty much expecting 25 home runs along with the other things he does. There was a really good fan graphs piece the other day. I think it was Jeff Sullivan. that re- He wrote about how Christian Yelich and Eric Hosmer don't need to change. And it was really interesting. Um, just talking about like the fact that if you're as good as those guys, why would you change your approach? And it does make me think, like, are we sure Christian Yelich is going to make a conscious change to his approach? Because... If he keeps hitting 25% of his balls in the air, or you know, 55% of his balls on the ground might be a better way to put it, there's probably a ceiling of 25 home runs. Yeah, but when you, but it's kind of like Anthony Rendon, right? I mean, it's good batting average, maybe not as good, but two hit 280 to 290, uh, mm-hmm. 16 or so steals. He should score a lot of runs. Yelich has been a top he might 10. Run more. Yeah, he'll run more yeah. than Rendon. He, he doesn't have quite the plate discipline of Rendon, but he'll run more. Oh, I mean, he'll run more than he has, too. Oh, yeah. In Milwaukee. They've yeah. been the most steel prone team in the majors the last 2020 year. season with a high average. Yeah. And, and look, he's been a top 10 outfielder in points two straight years and a top 16 outfielder in Roto two straight years. And now, because of the park change, Yelich has much more upside. You guys are not, I would say, yeah, much more upside. Why not? Um, Yesterday we talked about Yelich versus Benintendi. Scott, you said Yelich, but one spot ahead, right? Yeah, just one spot. I basically flipped the two after uh, the, the he went to the Brewers. Uh, Heath, Chris, real quick, Yelich or Benintendi? Yelich. Mm, Benintendi. All right, who's your favorite ben, breakout? Benintendi. Benintendi. <laughs> who's your favorite <laughs> breakout, Heath? Um, I am not as smart as Theo Epstein, so I'll just go with his favorite breakout for this year, and that is Ian Happ. 
And I was pretty excited about Ian Happ earlier in the year, obviously, and saying that my only real concern was his playing time. The Cubs are now talking about making him their leadoff hitter, which they're using him that way in the spring. Epstein talked about how much twitchier Happ got in the offseason and how he was actually a terrible defensive player in college, and now he looks like somebody that can actually play center field on a regular basis for a contending team. He's praised him a ton, said he is one of the fastest players on their team, and it does get overlooked a little bit that he stole eight bases in 115 games last year. Ian Happ, if he's a leadoff hitter for the Cubs, whew, he could be a monster. I just Okay, but hold on. You're, but you're going to play him at second base, right? I, yeah, but he's still an outfield eligible break. <laughs> do you want to give us a bonus? Out, that's fine. But do you want to give us a bonus outfielder? Do you have one? I will do it after Chris gives his. At right. first, he wants to argue Ian Happ. No, you know what? Let's, not... let's move on. I, I, okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. Because, Chris, I want to hear your breakout here. Um, hit me with it. I'll, I'll go with a guy who could be a better version of Christian Yelich if everything breaks right. Gregory Polanco from oh, the Pittsburgh Pirates yeah, had hey. a terrible 2017 season, but this is one of those guys that I feel like we're not doing the he was injured thing when he clearly was. He dealt with a shoulder injury in spring training. He didn't hit for any power last year after enjoying a breakout in 2016. If you look at the peripherals, makes contact around the same rate as Christian Yelich. Walks around the same rate. He's faster. Uh, he probably has more natural power thanks to the loft in his swing. The batting averages have not been there for his career, but I don't see why he couldn't hit 280 with a 25-25 season. I think there's a ton of potential. This was a guy that we've loved for a long time because of the potential, and he's going 142nd overall right now. And if the Pirates just trade two more outfielders, Adam will finally be right that he's the best outfielder. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish Polanco were going later than 142nd. That's a 12th round pick. That's not early, but I was I, hoping that people a, would just completely... That's a big discount over last year, right? I know, I, I, like I was hoping people is. would give up on him. But like, they, some they people have. Um, I've got my bonus one ready as well. Alright, bonus breakout, go. And this is kind of just like the, the outfield breakout free square, but I'll say Byron Buxton. Yeah, we need to talk uh, about him. He, he does still have a lot of potential. He's gotta continue to cut the strikeout rate. Uh, it was down to 27% in the second half last year. I think at 27%, he can be a very, very valuable asset, even in fantasy. He's already, he's going to be a very valuable asset on a baseball team because his defense is so good. But yep. at 27%, I, with a little pop and a lot of speed, I think he could be alright. Okay. Buxton, last 56 games, 298, 342 on base, 541 slugging. It's 11 home runs. 13 steals in those 56 games. And when we talk about steals specialists, like we never mention him, but he's not, yeah. he stole 29 bases in 30 attempts in 140 games. So Buxton could be a 35 steal guy, right? Yeah. 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 I, I will say there's no world in which Buxton hits 300 again for a, a whole season. He did it for the, the partial second half last year. He's not hitting 300. Yeah, I don't think he will either. But he did cut down on his strikeouts since September. But it was still like 28 percent for this for uh, that for the 20 for the 298 run for the time. Right, yeah, the, okay, yeah. maybe it was. But I, I think in September it dropped 23 percent. I will say the recipe. I I don't think he's a 300 hitter. I don't know with his profile. It's completely outside of the realm of possibility. He did in AAA have a 27.8 percent strikeout rate and hit 305. Mm-hmm. Um, he's gonna have to have an outlandish, outlandish Babbitt. Yeah, season. it needs to, like, and he could. He has he could. to, but it needs to be like a 383 90 Babbitt season. And yes. like, you just, that's a 95th percentile outcome that 
fair. Those, yes, I, I should not expect. Like, that. I, I think the more realistic ceiling is like the best case scenario realistically is probably like two eight. Okay, but but power and speed for Byron Buxton. Yeah. And so here's my Buxton problem, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. In my unwillingness, is that a word? Unwillingness? Yeah. My unwillingness yeah. to take a lot of outfielders early. He'd have to pr- be probably my third outfielder. And remember I talked about that group of Yelich and uh, Benintendi, Marcelo Zuna, all going in rounds four and five along with Justin Upton, Starling Marte. Byron Buxton's right after that group, and he's in the beginning of round six. I mean, for a guy who's never really put it together, I, I get it. But you, 61st overall, I'm not saying it's early, but it's a little early. It's projecting the upside, and and you have to reach for those guys sometimes if you truly believe in them. I, I have a hard time taking him as my third outfielder because like that's mm-hmm. too many outfielders for me. At that, I, I'd, I'd be more likely to do it in a five outfielder league. Well, he's not nearly as valuable in points. Do we? Agree? I'm not sure he's a starter in points. Do we agree in a roto league a that he has more upside than Yelich? Yes, but there are there are players going 20 spots later that have similar skill sets. Maybe a different like Gene Segura has a very similar skill set, except we think he's going to hit 290 plus. So I and he's going 20 spots later. I know this is outfield, but he I'm not have the power sure. potential that Buxton does. No, but I don't necessarily believe Buxton has like 25 homer. He had 16 last year. He had 18 last year. Steamer hasn't projected for 23. I got a yeah. good one for you. Yeah, it. I think he has 25 homer potential. Like, the thing is, Buxton, we forget, but for a stretch of, what, two or three years, he was considered the top prospect yeah. in baseball. He was a former second overall pick. He improved by so much last year from previous years. And you still look at the batted ball profile and see room for more improvement. And he's still so young. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't – obviously an unlikely scenario, but I, I don't think it's crazy to think he could still be like a first-round caliber player someday. No, I think he could. I do need to make a correction. Steamer only hasn't projected for 20. Depth charts hasn't for 22. And he so. has – like, he's a long way away from that. Like, he does have the uh, physical tools, but if he if he makes the leap this year that he made last year, I think he's basically there. Now, I'm not predicting that for him. I I think round six is – Kind of a stretch, like Adam was saying. But like, if we're just talking about the full range of possibilities, his his goes very high. Yeah, and I'll give you one kind of. I was thinking about this this morning, just thinking about Buxton. Like, you could take him in round six. Doesn't Yoan Moncada have kind of a similar skill set? If you need steals, and also had a small sample size of playing well, also was a top prospect. I know he plays a different position, but Whit Merrifield's skill set's not that much different. But you, in terms like, of what we saw, if you guys are buying what we saw last year. Yeah. Two two players who are going 145th overall that could be similar to Buxton are Moncada and Acuna. So keep that in mind. Um, blank will be a bust. Uh, by the way, the breakouts were Yelich, Hap, Polanco, and Buxton. All right, who's going to be a bust? Heath, uh, Chris, why don't you start, Chris? Domingo Santana. Ooh, I want it. Being drafted <laughs> very high, 84th overall, going ahead of Lorenzo Kane, Ryan Braun, Yasiel Puig at the uh, outfield position. Please mention that I three Brewers are going consecutively. Uh, yes, yes, three Brewers are going consecutively at outfield. <laughs> and uh, was that really necessary after you did it, Adam? 
Yes. And uh, well, he t- he asked me. Uh-huh. Okay. He said, "Please." All right. No, you um, nice. I to don't. Three year old. I don't doubt the raw power. He is a high Babbitt guy. I'm not sure he's an everyday player, and that's a lot to spend on a guy who's probably going to take a day or two off every week. Oh, I yeah. think you're probably drafting him closer to his ceiling in terms of return than his median outcome. Would you actually take Ryan Braun over Domingo Santana? Uh, t- twelve to twenty spots later, maybe. Mm-hmm. But like just Ryan Braun up. was Ryan Braun was pretty good last year when he played. But just straight up, who would you rather have? He wasn't as good as Domingo Santana. Lorenzo Kane. Well, no, I'm not, it's between Braun and Santana. Who's, who do you think is better? Braun. Okay. Yeah, um, and I'll, I'll go ahead and get into my bust because it's actually Ryan Braun, who I think has a lot of the Fine. same playing time concerns as Domingo Santana with the added injury risk uh, that obviously reared its ugly head last year, him getting th- only 380 at-bats. But that's that's kind of been the norm for him every year. He's always dealing with like a, a calf something or a wrist something or a thumb something or a back something. Like that's You just kind of bake that into the projection now. And beyond that, they got to find a bats for Domingo Santana. They're they're looking at Ryan Braun as their first baseman um, on at least a semi-regular basis. But then, you know, that means Eric Thames needs to find some place to play. Yeah, the bench. And they're kind of gotten to a point with the injuries, <laughs> even when Braun's healthy, he sits a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. And then you take it further and you look at the way uh, Ryan Braun's batted ball profile has evolved over the years. He's ele- like. In the in the age of the fly ball revolution, he has elevated the ball less and less to the point that to be a big time power hitter in this environment, he has to have a crazy home run to fly ball ratio, like we saw two years ago, but we didn't see last year, and I don't expect to see again. So there's playing time risk, there's health risk, there's performance risk, and there's just plain age risk. Mm-hmm. I don't he, want anything to do with it. He them. was on a 28 homer pace last season. It's not like the power. It's not just a big time power hitter. And right, but it, but it's and also like he's never going to achieve that we pace with the way they use him. Braun. I don't think he's a 425 plate appearance guy. He's probably not a 600 plate appearances guy. But the three previous years before last year, he was 580, 570, 564. If he does that again, he's probably a value where he's being drafted. I think it makes sense that they could bench Eric Thames against lefties, put Braun at first base, and get Santana in the outfield. Right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's look. Kane Kane has trouble staying healthy. Braun has trouble staying healthy. If Domingo Santana does find himself everyday playing time, let's just do a hypothetical. If Domingo Santana, if if they never traded for Yelich and Santana were going to be an everyday player, where would you rank him among outfielders? He'd be in my top twenty. He'd be in my top fifteen. Okay. Uh, not nearly as high as that. I don't. I'm not nearly as bought into the one good season that he's had. All right, so so far we have two Brewers outfielders as busts, Domingo Santana and Ryan Braun. And we had one as a breakout. And we had, yeah, Christian Yelich as a breakout. So, Heath, tell me why Lorenzo Cain will be a – no, uh, who's your bust? I'm not going to talk about a Brewer, but I will talk about a former Christian Yelich teammate. I like Marcelo Zuna just a little bit better than Santana and quite a bit more than Braun, but I don't like him in the fourth round. And I, I think just first off – even if you expect that he established a new norm in terms of skill last year, you should still expect his home run to fly ball percentage to drop by probably 25%. You should probably expect his Babbitt to drop by 20 or 30 points. 
So just right there, you're getting a, a pretty big hit. And then one of the things that made him a huge value last year was the fact that he had 217 combined runs in RBI. I don't expect him to come anywhere close to those just because most hitters don't. Yeah. First off, he'll be on base less. He'll hit less home runs. That's less RBI. I think he's in a worse lineup. He's in a worse lineup at the top, maybe. Yeah. Maybe a deeper lineup, but the portion of the lineup that is around him is worse. Mm-hmm. All right, Marcelo Zuna was the number five outfielder last year, number 13 in points, number eight in Roto. Uh, I, I, the one thing, like, yeah, I mean, it's easy to kind of be skeptical, and nobody drafts him like he's going to be top five again. Here's the one thing that, that you know, kind of gets me. He had a 924 OPS. First three months of 2016, he had a 920 OPS. And then he was playing hurt in the second half. Kind of sunk his numbers. So does that matter to you? I I am perfectly fine with saying now he is going to be a 30 homer guy. Yeah. But no, I'm I'm actually with Heath completely on this. Like I have Ozuna in my top 15 outfielders, so I didn't want to present him as my bust. But like he's going too early. Okay. So you think it's going too early when he's going around Yelich and Benintendi? I would rather have both those guys and Kane and Upton and Billy Hamilton in Roto. Billy Hamilton. All right. Okay, then. Uh, let's move on and uh, get into ADP, which is average draft position, for all those of you who don't know. And uh, let's see. Do we have anything else? Do you want to mention that Yuli Gurriel is only out five to six weeks? Yesterday when we were talking about it, it was six to nine weeks. So he might is not he, miss Is he draftable time. in Roto again for you, Chris? I I really don't want any part of him. Like I'll draft him if there's a reserve. As a reserve, yeah. But okay. I still have him as a two dollar player after uh doing doing some work on my rankings I last him night. To basically right at the point of the top three hundred. Yeah, right. I just I think there's a chance it, it it's like Ian Desmond last year and even when he's healthy, he's not right. And that's Yuli Guriel we're talking about. Here are some outfield stats to ponder. Giancarlo Stanton had a forty six game stretch with twenty nine homers. JD Martinez had a fifty seven game stretch with twenty nine homers. Chris Bryant hit 29 home runs all season. Uh, Mookie Betts is Babbitt last three seasons, 310, 322, 268. That's why Mookie Betts is going to bounce back. George Springer, first 99 games before injuring his quad. He had a 973 OPS. Springer hit 310 with 27 home runs before injuring his quad. He also was World Series MVP, right? Yeah, he had a ridiculous postseason, which should put to rest any concerns about his Uninspiring second half. I think he had a ridiculous World Series. I feel like he struggled in the first two rounds. Well, he had a lot of home runs. That's all I know. He hit six home runs in seven games, if I recall, in the World Series. He's very good. Uh, yeah, but is he better than people give him credit for? Because he's the last elite outfielder to get drafted, George Springer. You know, we were talking about Chris Bryan in the third base preview, how he was a guy when he got called up. We worried uh, about him being even reasonable, reasonably good at batting average because the strikeout rate was so high. George Springer was in the exact same place, and what both of them did last year was become honest-to-goodness contact hitters, like some of the best strikeout rates you'll see for players with the kind of power they had. And that kind of that sort of evolution, I think, is being downplayed with both. Like the one biggest flaw they had um, coming up through the minors and early in their careers has now become a strength. And I don't think we've seen the upside for either, uh, considering that. The one thing I will say with George Springer is he stands out most in counting stats, specifically runs an RBI playing in that lineup. But then you compare him to the guys that are going ahead of him, and like 
He doesn't have the elite power of some of the elite guys. He doesn't have the elite batting average potential of some of the elite guys. He doesn't steal bases like some of them. And it's just like, this is why he goes at the end of that is that he's just like, he's just like the B plus everywhere. And he's really, really good. But some of the other guys are A pluses. If, and this is what I wonder if what he did with strikeout rate is real from last year and he's a 17 to 18% mm-hmm. strikeout guy moving forward. Isn't his batting average expectation about 295? Probably something like that. And yeah. then he's got an upside of 320? Sure. Yeah, he he did have his lowest BABIP last year, and it was about 50 points lower than his career high. So, yeah, I mean, if we're buying the strikeout rate, he's definitely a possible 300 hitter. But I get what Chris is saying, too. I mean, like, he's not Charlie Blackman, who's yeah. a possible 340 hitter. Right. Yeah, right. this is George Springer we're talking about. And Springer is, in my opinion, like, if you can get him... In the third round in a points league, it is a no-brainer because if he plays, he he will probably lead baseball in plate appearances per game, or or be very very close to the top of that list. Yeah. So yeah, him or Mookie probably. Yeah. I mean, the, he is he has so much safety, George Springer, in points leagues. I I love him as my number one outfielder. Um, here's an interesting stat: Andrew Benintendi, his career OPS against lefties is 583. In 164 plate appearances, and he made less hard contact than Christian Yelich and Andrew McCutcheon. He was 20th among qualified outfielders at hard contact rate. Uh, does that mean anything new with Andrew Benintendi, or is it too early? That not great hard contact and 583 OPS against lefties in his career. The lefties part, it's too early for me, uh, mostly because the Red Sox are not a team that have somebody that they're going to plug into his spot. I don't believe to hit against lefties. Uh, they don't. They don't want to play JD Martinez in the outfield. I think he's being a little overdrafted. That I, I love the skill set. I love the potential, but I'm not sure he stands out above similar players who he's being drafted ahead of. Uh, you know, specifically Christian Yelich, who is what we kind of hope Andrew Benintendi will become. But doesn't in terms of the batting average, doesn't Benintendi have more have Benintendi's? Been a better batting average guy than Yelich because because he strikes out and he hit like two ninety. What did he hit last year? Two seventy one. Oh, yeah, okay. he wasn't. Right. And and the thing is, like, he hasn't shown the ability to hold his own against lefties the way Christian Yelich has. That's a really t- like there is more power potential for him because he hits a lot of fly balls. Except he plays in what is sneakily one of the worst parks in baseball for left-handed hitters for power. And so I just I get the the Andrew Benintendi excitement but i don't think i've drafted him a single time this year especially because i know lorenzo kane has a very similar upside and is going 50 spots later but we're also talking about a guy who's like what 23 years old and yeah. was the number one yeah. prospect in baseball yeah so he's awesome. we don't yeah. know I, I haven't not at all a criticism of andrew benintendi it's just that i think he's being drafted a little too high okay so um I don't know. Oh, uh, last stat. Tell me what you think about this. Eddie Rosario, after the All-Star break, hit 292 with 17 home runs. Slug 558. He hit 16 home runs in the final two months of the season. We haven't talked about him as a sleeper or a breakout. Do you like Eddie Rosario? I mean, he's he's just like in my top 25 outfielders, so I don't I don't think he fits in either of those categories. And I, I, I do like him. I haven't had um, occasion to draft him yet, but I think... Particularly if in the middle rounds you're looking for batting average help, he is definitely good.
good for that. And yeah, the power breakthrough he had last year, I don't see much reason to be skeptical of it either. From June 13th on last year, he averaged 3.41 fantasy points per game, which was basically what Marcelo Zuna, Marcelo Zuna averaged for the season, which isn't to say I think he's as good as Ozuna, but, uh, you know, for half a season he was. I have no idea what to make of Eddie Rosario. I, Last, if he is exactly what he was last year, then he, yeah, he's definitely a health and batting average. But his career up until that point, he was basically a 265 hitter, 270 hitter, maybe at best. Um, I, so I'm, I'm not really, I don't have him. It was a 312 Babbitt last year and he hit 290. That's, I mean, that's true. It was a 338 Babbitt that they were reporting looks, at 269. Okay. I'm really happy I don't have to do rankings because I would have no idea what to do with Eddie Rosario. <laughs> That's how I feel about him. Like, I, I just feel like, and maybe this is, maybe it's a flawed way of thinking, but I, I feel like plate discipline gains are among the more sustainable gains. And so that's still that different for, in Babbitt. Yeah, I'm still waiting for Chris to write that on that. <laughs> he's he's going to tell us that shortly. Um, I do think the power numbers probably come down a little I mean, bit. that was kind of one of the theories of Moneyball, right? He does not make a ton of hard contact. Um, I I don't know that for sure either, Scott. Splits okay. are splits are pretty important for Eddie Rosario. He's not good against lefties, and I think he's bad on bad at home. So uh, uh, no, no, he was great at home. He had a 6.32 slugging percentage at home. He was bad on the road, and uh, he had a 5.62 slugging percentage against righties, and he was bad against lefties. So if you believe that, maybe you like Eddie Rosario more in a daily lineup league where you can sit him against lefties, something like that. Uh, that might help. So I'm going to call a little bit of an audible and save ADP for tomorrow and maybe cut today's podcast a little bit short. I'm going to ask you one thing, but I'm going to do that in just one second because I hope you all have been like me, been watching a ton of CBS Sports HQ. I watch on Roku. You can watch on Apple TV, on Amazon Fire, on your phone, on other connected devices, or CBSSportsHQ.com. Check it out. So what it is, it's a a 24-7 streaming uh, service or uh, sports shows, basically. And we've got highlights, we've got scores, news, all your favorite sports. It's we're not just covering, you know, the big things, we're covering everything. And I don't know, we're just we're trying to give the the big sports fans out there a way to get what they want. All right. Remember highlights, how cool those used to be? The old school basics of sports coverage, scores, news, and highlights. It's CBS Sports HQ. It's free. Download the CBS Sports app and check it out. I do believe you will all like it very much. And there will be plenty of fantasy talk on there as well. All right, so since we'll save a, uh, ADP for tomorrow, you know, as, as many as we can get to. But last thing, give me some names specifically for me, because I could easily save this for tomorrow, but I need your help to help me beat you in the auction league. Give oh, me some late-round outfielders. We've already talked about some sleepers like Schwarber, Austin Hayes. Um, How late? Uh, like, like, Guys, like round 18 or later. Maybe bench yeah. spots. Something like that. Flyers you want to take. Uh, who, give me some guys. Randall Gritchick. Randall Gritchick and Steven Piscotty. Both Cardinals dudes, super talented. But Piscotty's not a Cardinal. Great. Well, both left Cardinals. Right. Okay, I see. Former Cardinals. Maybe they lose the Cardinals devil magic, but mm-hmm. great batted ball profile. Steven Piscotty, I think, still has the potential to hit 300. And Randall Gritchick, I think, has... 35 homer potential playing at Rogers Center because he pulls the ball and hits the crap out of it. And he'll uh, always know when breaking balls are coming. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Aaron Hicks, you're going to get over that at some point, right? Never Aaron Hicks, Bradley Zimmer, 
Um, Bradley Zimmer's a good late steals guy. Mitch Hanniger, David Dahl. Yeah, David Dahl was one I was going to say. Uh, almost picked him instead of Austin Hayes for my sleeper. And, uh, I mean, this was a guy who a lot of us picked for a breakout last year. It was a mid-round pick, and then he had that... Um, rib injury. Yeah, rib injury that didn't even sound that bad at the time. Ended up missing, didn't even play in the majors. Only now, had like 90 plate appearances at AAA. It was really bad. But there's not a clear spot for him, but at Coors Field, with what he's already done in the majors, if if they decide they'd rather have them in a Gerardo Parra, which they should... Yeah, he could he could be a big time contributor this year. I also like uh Jesse Winker, who also has playing time concerns. They kinda have four outfielders for three spots, and the way they plan on approaching it is rotating the four through the three. But I think Winker is ultimately going to be the Reds' second best hitter, better than both Shebler and Duvall, guy who's had great pl- plate discipline throughout his minor league career, showed questionable power there, but if you go back early in his career, a couple fifteen homer seasons and hit like seven and 125 at-bats in the major leagues last year. I just think in the current environment, anyone with the base-level hitting skills that Winker does has a reasonable shot at 20 home runs. Willie Calhoun doesn't does not strike out ever. Hits for power. Probably going to get a chance to play close to every day in Texas. He could be a really, really good fantasy player. Jorge Soler. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Talked about it yesterday. Yeah, we did. Um, I still yeah, swing like, adjustments. I still like Michael Brantley. And yep. Michael yeah. Brantley and Dexter Fowler. Price. Dexter Fowler is being way undervalued, I think. Well, and specifically, since we're talking about a roto draft today, three late-round steal sources, and a couple of them have just emerged in the last couple weeks. There's Delano DeShields. There's Cameron Mabin, who looks like he's going to be the Marlins starting center fielder. And there's Malik Smith, mm-hmm. who looks like, with the recent Rays purge, he's going to be an everyday player there. Oh my gosh, Delino De Shields! I drove me crazy <laughs> last year. I was so if Delino De Shields actually had been good last year, I, my teams would have been a lot better. Just put it that way. But I'm not. I'm not giving well, up on we, you yet, Delino. Didn't we make the mistake of relying on him in a three outfielder categories league as opposed to five outfielder roto? Like I don't think any of it those was a sixteen team league. It was a sixteen team league. I think yeah, that changes so. the rules a little bit. He wasn't that bad last year. He wasn't. No, he wasn't. No, they, he hit 270, 29 steals, 75 runs. That Inconsistent playing time. Yeah, and, but, and when you only have three outfielder spots, you need yeah. better all-around No, production. he was probably like a starting caliber player in Roto, though. Yeah. Yeah, for when once the Rangers made it clear that he was the starting caliber player for them, which took a while. Yeah. All right, thank you guys for helping me beat you. We're going to do some of that auction on the air. That is the plan. Uh, I will probably air that over the weekend. So tomorrow you'll hear um, Outfielders Part 2, and then I'll give you the auction over the weekend if, in fact, we do record an hour or so of the auction, which will be about five players being uh, being auctioned off. Um, so thank you to Scott, to Heath, to Chris. Thank you all for listening. Remember to give us a nice rating. We would really appreciate it and tell your friends. And we're back tomorrow with Outfielders Part 2. Yeah.